Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and we've got some interesting topics to cover today, but I just want to make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, the first being you'll notice that the time on the live show has changed. Uh, this afternoon, it's 2 o'clock on a uh, Wednesday afternoon here on the East Coast. And, and the reason I did this is that I've noticed uh, through my research and through the data on the show that most of you listen to this on a podcast as opposed to being live. But I will still offer the show live, so just keep an eye on Facebook and keep an eye on the site itself, uh, the radio site itself, to show see when the times, because the times may change uh, through the uh, through the uh, week as well as I may even change the days. But if you have any input on that, you would like to see this at a certain time live, which is better for you, then uh, drop me an email at fhouston, that's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com, and we can entertain uh, possibly doing at a time that's more convenient for everyone. Okay, the second announcement is I am adding another stone and tile troubleshooting and inspection seminar in Florida. It's going to be this year, June 5th through the 8th, and is going to be held in Melbourne, Florida, which is where I live, and if anyone is interested in that seminar, again, these seminars are kept very small, a uh, maximum of 10 people. And uh, it's the same one I do out every year out in Vegas. But uh, this year I've added the one in Florida for people on the East Coast that don't want to travel out to the uh, West Coast for the seminar. So, again, it is June 5th through 8th. And you can get all the information on it either by sending me an email or going to the website Stone Forensics. Dot com. Okay, also, what I've been doing on my Stone Forensics website, as you know, I've over the last 40 years or so, I've written probably, I don't know, four or 500 articles regarding stone, tile, uh, concrete, and various other, other subjects that have to do with the stone and tile industry. And I'm starting to put a lot of these articles up on my website. So if you go to stoneforensics.com, Go to the About section. You'll scroll down to you see articles. Just click on Articles, and you will see a ton of articles in there. And I've been, I've been putting up articles almost on a daily basis. I think probably have close to 50 or 60 of them up there right now. So a lot of really, really good, uh, useful information. Okay, now, if you happen to be listening live, uh, if you want to call in with a question, the telephone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. 
Okay, what I wanted to talk about today is several things. I want to talk about uh, lead certification, and we'll get into that first in a, in a minute. And that will lead into uh, how you guys that are out there that are doing restoration work, how you can go green without any chemicals whatsoever. I want to also touch on uh, epoxy injection for hollow tiles. Uh, I might touch on how to price your stone polishing services. I just did an article on, on that recently, and I'm getting a lot of questions from your contractors out there and any other subject that you, that you want to cover. So let's first talk about LEED. What is LEED? LEED, L-E-E-D is the uh, acronym, and that stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. Now, why do we in the stone and tile industry, especially the stone industry, want to be concerned with LEED? A lot of new buildings and a lot of buildings that are being renovated are trying to get what we call LEED certification. And there's different levels, and I'm not going to go into that. There's a gold, a silver, I think there's a platinum or, or whatever. And the way they achieve these levels, these certifications, is by getting certain points for being environmentally uh, friendly or a sustainable building practices. Well, the question always comes up, you know, can, as a restoration contractor first, can my, get my client lead points for that? And that answer is going to be yes, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But also if you're selling stone, uh, if you're fabricating, uh, you can also get lead points for that. What about installation? Yes, uh, installation as well. And one of the first things, uh, well, let me, let me back up and, and get a little bit technical here as far as lead certification. It's broken down into several categories. Those categories are sustainable sites, water efficiency, energy and atmosphere, materials resources, indoor environmental quality, and innovation and design. So you can fit into a lot of these categories, say, as a restoration contractor. The first one being is under the materials and resource category, and specifically what is called as MR Credit 5 Regional Materials. Now, this credit encourages the use of building materials that are extracted or manufactured within a certain distance from the building site. And I can't remember what that is. I want to say it's 300 miles. It might be 500, but you, you can look it up. Just do a Google, Google search. But um, how does that apply to the restoration guy? Well, if you go into a building and that particular stone, terrazzo would, would be included, was obtained from somewhere locally, again, within that particular miles range, because you're restoring it, because you're restoring the existing material, your client can get credit for that. The number of points, I'm not sure. You'd have to consult a, a lead consultant in order to get that. I'm not a lead consultant, but uh, you can actually use this as a sales technique for going in and restoring either terrazzo, marble, granite, or whatever, uh, if it falls under that category by saying, hey, you know, what we can do here is we can offer you, well, you're not going to offer the lead points, but we can help you get that lead point by restoring your floor, wall, or whatever. Now, another credit uh, within the material and resource category that also may be applicable to stone and terrazzo restoration is recycled content. Now, of course, with terrazzo, you definitely have recycled content there. But the use of materials that contain a certain percentage of post-consumer or post-consumer recycled contact, content, I'm sorry. Now, why stone is not typically considered a recycled material, restoring it can. 
fall into that category. So it's kind of a gray area, but uh, it can fall into that category, which means your client can achieve points for lead uh, by go, simply going in there and restoring it. So there's another category. So in order to earn these lead points for restoring or, or even just polishing the floors, there are guidelines. Lead certification system puts out guidelines, and I highly recommend that you look at those guidelines or at least direct your client to those guidelines because what they're trying to do is the more points they get, they can either get, you know, a gold, a silver, or whatever those categories are. And, of course, the higher the uh, category, the higher the, the category, uh, the more lead points they get. So uh, that's something to definitely take into consideration. So definitely consider this, guys, especially if you're out there, you know, as restorers and polishers, uh, that your clients are, are looking more and more to this lead certification. And this just doesn't include new buildings. This also includes existing buildings. So you could be looking at old historic buildings. You could look at buildings that are not as old, but they're going in and restoring it. And you're encouraging them to keep the existing flooring. And they may, may be changing some other things within the building, but if you can, you can convince them that you can make their floor look new again and that not only can you restore it, but also they can achieve additional lead points, that's just a plus, uh, plus for you. So something to take into consideration. Now, the next topic kind of falls into that, and that's a subject that I've been involved with for, for quite a while now, and that is what we call going green and stone restoration. And, you know, what do I basically mean by that? Well, to put it in simple terms, this means nothing more than restoring a floor, a stone, a terrazzo floor without using any chemicals. I mean, the only chemical you're going to use is water, but no, no polishing powders, no acids, no sealers, no nothing, strictly going 100% green. And a lot of the abrasives, and I'm not going to get into too much details unless you have specific questions here, but I will give you a few little tips. A lot of the new abrasives out there, a lot of the new diamond impregnated pads, uh, what we call dip pads, will allow you to polish a floor. I'm sorry, hone and polish a floor without any chemicals and still getting that high shine that you would normally get with uh, uh, polishing powders that contain oxalic acid and possibly some other harmful uh, ingredients. So this is another big plus if you're offering uh, restoration services is to uh, convince them, hey, we, we can do this without any chemicals whatsoever. And also that, that works too with, uh, with homeowners. I mean, you may have, you know, homeowners that have children or them themselves may be very susceptible uh, to certain chemicals. And uh, you can say, hey, we don't need to use any chemicals at all. So some of the objections I get when it comes to that, and I'm going to talk about a few of these here and kind of show you how to overcome these objections, is obviously the first one, a stone can't be polished without the use of chemicals, and that's not true. Here is a little hint. When it comes to polishing, and I've done this with both marble as well as granite, you can polish your final polish, in other words, you go through all your honing stages, whether you're using dip pads, whether you're using, you know, regular diamond abrasives, your very last step, instead of using polishing powders, you can take an 11,000 grit pad, whether that's a monkey pad, a, a uh, you know, a cheetah, whatever pads, you're, you're, what dip pads, you're, there's so many out there uh, that you're using, and you want to use that dry. But instead of using it on your standard uh, floor machine, you're going to use it on a high-speed burnisher. 
And when I say high-speed burnisher, we're talking burnishers that rotate anywhere from about 1,500 RPM up to 3,500 RPM or more. And you'd be surprised how fast you can polish a floor just simply walking behind one of these burnishers. So it's definitely something you might want to consider. Um, other objections that comes up, it, does it cost more to go green? And no, actually, it costs less uh, to go green than it does um, using traditional chemicals. So it's something to keep in mind. Now, you're going to hear this. Well, I can't afford some of these large machines that are necessary to do the work. As a small contractor, you might be a one-man operation or a very small company. You don't want to go out and you know, spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 on some of these large planetary head machines. Hey, if you can, that's great. It'll make your work a lot faster. But you can go green with a standard floor machine. Uh, some of the classes I've taught, recently taught, as a matter of fact, uh, we're able to polish cream of marfil, white marble, um, you know, the cream-colored marble. We just did a, um, a reinforced brown marble, no chemicals, strictly diamond pads all the way through until the last step using a 11,000-grit uh, burnishing pad. Now, sometimes it'll even work on the smaller uh, the slower RPM machines, but it's definitely worth a try, but definitely works really, really well on the uh, on the high-speed burnishers. Uh, some of these machines also require 220 power, and a lot of times that's kind of difficult to, to get, uh, but you can buy 110 uh, burnishers as well. So that's my spiel, if you will, on uh, on going green and lead points, and I think it's something you really need to consider. You know, as time goes on, more and more building owners, uh, as well as homeowners, are going to be looking at, you know, chemical-free systems. And that's where I see the industry going. Um, now, we can talk about sealers, but I'm going to leave that for another show. And actually, I think I beat that horse to death a few, uh, uh, a few episodes ago. But that's something that uh, we definitely want to uh, take into consideration is uh, you may not even want to seal uh, these floors. But again, we're not going to go there, of course, unless you have a, a question. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about epoxy injection for hollow tiles. Be back right after this. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains, Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tough Skin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with a proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tough Skin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F SkinProtection.com to learn more. All right, let's talk about epoxy injection. And, and I use the word epoxy, but it doesn't necessarily have to be epoxy. Uh, there are a lot of materials out there. Um, you know, there's companies like Inject the Floor and, and a couple of other companies that sell uh, different polymers that are used. But, but basically what we're talking about is taking a, a tile floor that's hollow. And when you have a hollow floor, as you guys may know or may not know, uh, that usually indicates that there's no setting material in those hollow spots or there's voids in the setting material. And whenever you have that, you have a, a possibility of the tile cracking, uh, collapsing in that particular area. So rather than tear the whole floor up, what you can basically do is go in there 
and go through the grout lines. You drill, drill holes in the grout lines, and you inject the epoxy or some of this other material in the hopes of filling up those, those voids. And the question I get, does it work? And quite honestly, the answer is sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. There's, there's pros and cons uh, to that. Uh, one of the things that you don't have, obviously, is x-ray eyes. It's really difficult to see into an installation to see why you have those hollow areas. I mean, hollow, de- you know, detecting hollow areas itself can be a little tricky sometimes because it may not always be an issue. It may be the substrate under uh, the, the setting material that's, that's sounding hollow and not necessarily a uh, lack of setting materials there. So it becomes difficult. So let, let's just make the assumption that you have a floor, it's hollow, and you want to offer an epoxy in, in, injection. Well, first of all, let's look at the advantages, and then we'll look at the disadvantages. Of course, there's a cost-effectiveness. Um, you know, it can be more economical than tearing up the floor and replacing, replacing all the tiles, uh, especially true if you're going in there and doing any heavy-duty work like grinding the floor. If you've got a lot of hollow tiles in there and you're putting some heavy machinery on that, you stand a chance of cracking those tiles or breaking those tiles. So uh, injecting can, can actually, actually help. It can be a time saver. It can be a quick fix. Uh, if you're using the right material, in other words, the right epoxies or, or materials itself, it can be somewhat durable. Um, of course, you know, the versatility of it uh, can be used for various types of tiles, including ceramic, porcelain, as well as uh, natural, natural stone. Now, let's take a quick look at what could be an issue here. What would be the disadvantages of, uh, of epoxy injection? You could actually do more damage to the floor. A lot of times, uh, depending on what type of instrument you're using to inject the epoxy, if you're using a, a pneumatic system, if you're using a just a you know a hand pump or a caulk gun, which I've used before, uh, you can actually blow tiles up. And I don't mean explode them, but you can actually lift the tiles up with the uh, with the epoxy itself. So you have to be careful. And of course, you'll want to test in an area. If you're dealing with a light colored material like a translucent marble uh, something like a thassos or, or something like that and you're using the wrong materials you can get discoloration you know some of these polymers especially some of the epoxies have a tendency to turn yellow over time and you could actually get bleed through uh, of the epoxy so and again another good reason uh, to check first uh, or test I should say first another issue is it may not stick. You know, why you have those hollow tiles, you really need to investigate as much as you possibly can. If there's any kind of dust in there, you can end up with incompatibility problems where the epoxy is just not working. Or you could have such large voids in that particular floor that you're using just copious amounts of epoxy resin and you're wondering, where is it all going to? And uh, that can be a real issue, uh, and that can get super expensive. I mean, epoxy is not cheap, and neither are some of these other materials that, that you're using. So if you have very, very large voids in that floor, uh, epoxy injection might not be as economical. If there are a few here and there, you know, some isolated spots, uh, then I would say yes. Yeah. So basically what I'm saying when it comes to injecting these floors, just be super, super, super careful. All right. Let's move on to uh, another subject here and totally uh, change gears here. And that is one on, I get this constantly. And this is such a difficult subject to to talk about because 
it's so variable. And that is how do you price your stone polishing services? And when I say stone polishing, I'm talking honing, grinding, everything else. Uh, you know, I always get this question, you know, well, how much per square foot do you charge? How much per square foot should I charge? And I hate square foot pricing because it can vary considerably. Let's take an example. Let's say you have a lobby and it's a perfectly rectangular lobby, very little furniture. It's nice and square. Um, you know, you, you can price it per square foot because you're going to know how, how long it's going to take to do that. Right. But now let's take let's say that's 5000 square feet. So now let's take another building that's 5,000 square feet, but that 5,000 square feet now is broken up into hallways, uh, might have a, a main carpet you have to go around. So even though it's the same 5,000 square feet, you know, assuming everything's identical, it's going to take you a lot longer to uh, do any kind of work on that particular lobby than it would be on the completely rectangular lobby. So it's difficult to say, I'm going to charge three bucks a square foot. I'm going to charge $4 a square foot. Now, what you can do, figure out what your labor is, what your hours are. I'm going to go over that here in a second. And then uh, calculate back that into a square foot price. That's fine. But to just go in and say, okay, you got 5,000 square feet. It's X amount of dollars per square foot is not the way to do it. So First of all, you want to recognize, and all these, by the way, all these uh, things I'm talking about on today's show is in the articles on my site. Um, recognize the project scope. Calculate your material cost. And a good rule of thumb is if your material cost, your cost of your diamonds, your cost of your polishing powders, the, you know, all your material cost itself is over 10% of the entire job, something's wrong. should be way under 10%. Uh, Labor, that's going to be your biggest cost. So figure your labor. And whatever you think the labor is going to be, uh, it, it, it's, it's going to end up being longer, I almost guarantee it. As long as I've been doing this work, you know, I could always say, well, it's going to take 40 hours and ends up taking 60 hours. So make sure you put a, a, a good cushion in there. And then review your market. You know, what, what market are you in? What's the going rate for the type of work that you're doing in that area? You know, if they're getting, say, three bucks a foot, again, using square foot pricing very loosely and you want to go in at six, you better have a good reason for going in at six. You know, are you removing lippage? Are you not removing lippage, et cetera? Uh, then you got your overhead costs. And this is where I can't determine this for you. You know what your overhead is. You know what payments you have on your vehicles, what payments you have on equipment, what payments you have in your office. You know, are, do you have office staff? Do you have a admin people that you're paying? If you're one man operation, nah, that's probably not too much of an issue, but you need to calculate that, calculate in that in there, and then putting in your profit margin as well. So, when it comes to pricing, I wish I had the magic touch, you know, the magic wand that says, "Here's what you should charge." It just depends. Every job is going to be different. Uh, every job is going to have its own challenges, uh, and you need to take that into consideration. I'll give you another example. Uh, we used to do a lot of hotels back in the day, and one of the things I discovered very, very quickly is uh, when I priced these out, I would calculate, you know, how many rooms could I do, you know, with X amount of people in a given day. And so let's say I have, you know, a crew of two or three guys and I could do 10 rooms a day. So this is what I plan on doing. I'll go in and do, and then it could be floors, bathrooms, vanities or whatever. doesn't matter. Uh, you've planned on a certain number of rooms to do per day. Okay. To make it worth your while. You show up at the hotel and they tell you, well, you know, we don't have 10 rooms for you today. Uh, we've only got two. So now what do you do? Now you've lost money because you've got guys there waiting to do this work and they're 
you can't do it because they're, they've booked the rooms. So what I used to do on my contracts is I would put a minimum in there. So if I want to do 10 rooms a day, I would say we need to do 10 rooms a day. If we don't get 10 rooms a day, we're going to charge for 10 rooms a day. And you'd be surprised how quickly they'll get you 10 rooms or make arrangements uh, to have 10 rooms for you. Or you just you, you charge per the room and you just make your price so high that, that, it, that it's worth it. So it becomes a real issue. You know, working at night, uh, especially if you do a lot of hotel work. Uh, when we used to do work at some of the theme parks in Orlando, we had this very short time frame to do work. You know, we couldn't get in there till after midnight, and we had to be out of there by 6 in the morning. So we got six hours, and that includes setup, breakdown. Uh, if we couldn't store our equipment there, we had to load our equipment up. So we were lucky if we got four hours worth of work a night. So you got to plan on that. So these are all the things you need to, need to take into consideration when it comes to pricing and bidding. Well, again, if you have any questions, any detailed questions on this, if you're listening live, you can call in at 323 323- Eight seven zero three nine six eight, or if you're listening on the podcast, which most of you do, send me an email. It's f houston f h u e s t o n at gmail dot com. Okay. Lastly, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about some of the uh, some of the articles that I put up on my website. So let me give me a second here. Let me pull up my website, and I can run down a list of some of the, some of the articles that I put up there that I highly encourage you to to go in and take a look at. And again, it's stoneforensics.com. Go to the about section, scroll down to articles, which is what I'm doing right here. And I've got articles in here for both, you know, the professionals uh, as well as uh, consumers. Some of the titles are the magic of epoxy injection, salvaging hollow floor tiles, how to clean and maintain your marble shower. This obviously would be more for the consumer, the perfect mop for cleaning your marble floor, lead certificate about here today. Can I use a steam cleaner on my natural stone floors? I get that question all the time. Nanotechnology in the stone industry. Problems and flaws with porcelain tile. How to clean and maintain a stone pool deck. I'm doing a lot of inspections with pool decks and fountains lately. The homeowner ceramic tile repair manual. Why is my pool deck turning green and black? The stone restoration horizon. Is it changing and are you ready? This is where we're talking about going green. And, of course, my infamous article on the recrystallization of marble, uh, explain as a kind of an updated version from the one I did back in the 90s. Is it a crack or fissure on my stone countertop? All the time we get this. You know, you get customers all the time, and you fabricators especially. I, I'm sure you've had issues with, I think my countertop's cracked, and it's not. It's a fissure. Uh, in this article, I discuss how to tell. Is my countertop quartzite or marble? We have a lot of quartzites being sold out there, to, or I'm sorry, a lot of marbles being sold out there today that are actually quartzite, so you need to know the difference. Uh, removing urine stains and odors from stone surfaces. Limestone used some wet areas. Can soft water damage my stone surfaces? Walk off an entrance mats for your stone floors. Stone and tile floor damage from floods. Can you repair it or can you replace it? Uh, I did an article on anti-etch treatments. Uh, just did this one uh, last week, rectified versus non-rectified tile. Those of you that don't know what that is, it's a good article to read. Removing calcium buildup from non-calcite exterior stones. The importance of a slip-free surface. Why are my ceramic tiles developing blisters? Uh, I've seen a couple of jobs lately where actual ceramic tiles are developing blisters. So I discussed that in that article. 
seam shadows on quartzite countertops. Wherever you have a seam, there's a shadow being cast. The importance of installing expansion joints in your stone or tile shower and what you need to know. What are the shadows on my porcelain tile? Uh, something called optical hazing. How setting materials bond and why resin back tiles fail. We see a lot of that. Quartz versus quartzite countertops. Stone impregnating sealers are not bulletproof. What's the dark ring around my granite quartzite sink? Graffiti removal procedure for stone, tile, brick, and masonry. Are my weep holes clogged? Why my shower floor is darkening? Sealing stone in wet areas is a bad idea. Resin slabs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's an old article that I published many, many years ago. And does your countertop need sunscreen? And the list goes on and on and on. And as I said in the very beginning of this podcast, uh, I'm putting more and more articles up there on a daily basis and actually writing more, uh, you know, as we go. And those of you that are fans of the uh, Stone Detective and the Slippery Rock Gazette, I continue to do those. And I just looked the other day and I'm well over 100 articles in there. And I've been doing those articles for well over um, 25 years. So to wrap things up today, uh, I want to repeat, I have a, uh, stone inspection and troubleshooting seminar coming up here in Florida, June 5th through the 8th. So if you want to get into that, definitely send me an email, fhuston at gmail.com, S-F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. If you want to call me to register, I'll give you my cell phone number. That's 321-514-6845. That's 321-514-6845. Four or five, and again, check out my articles, and uh, we'll have more podcasts coming up here soon. I've got uh, some guests that we're going to do um, some really interesting interviews on, and again, if anybody wants to be interviewed on the show, definitely drop me an email. So, folks, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, and fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality, environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, MB Stone Care, Bondstone and Touchstone Adhesives, more Stone Care products, Easy Care products, and Better Bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net. Oh, I was almost